Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Peter Chu, president of Galisteo Consulting Group, join us to discuss Twitter reveals French attitudes on Islamism. Dr. Chu will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Peter Chu. Thanks, Stacey. Um, much appreciation to the Middle East Forum for hosting me. Uh, hopefully you can see my screen. Do I need to reshare, Stacey, or can you see that? Yes, if you could reshare, that'd be great. Okay. Okay, so you can see it now? Yes. Great. All right. Well, um, without further ado, let me move on then through this presentation. Just a quick background about myself and uh, my company. So Galisteo Consulting Group is, is uh, the company I own. We do a mixture of national security. Um, I particularly do data analytics. Uh, we do a mixture of work, a lot of it for the federal government and national labs. And then as far as my own background, um, I have an undergrad in Russian, Polish languages and literature and French before that. So I'm basically a linguist by background. My doctorate was in Russian computational linguistics. I also have this weird thing of financial audit. And what I, the reason I bring that up is, is what I'm going to be discussing is a little bit like an audit of what's going on in Twitter. Um, you know, with the same kind of considerations we do, we want to make sure we have an accurate picture. We're not, you know, overinflating this or that. And then um, finally, my, my background is, has been in data analytics from about 2002 onwards in my professional work. So I've got a, a lot to cover, I'll go through as quickly as I can, try to keep my 15 minutes. The background for this really is um, Samuel Paddy case, which uh, um, really erupted in September last year, which is when I believe he was beheaded. It actually resurfaced again recently. So the whole case really has brought into question, um, as in fact, I think we've heard in these uh, seminars before, the the um, approach of the French government um, as far as laicite or secularism is concerned and whether that is really working and doing what it's uh, touted to do. So, um, and then um, with this assassination that happened in September, uh, one poll has said that 87% of French people believe that laicite really is in danger and it's threatened by, by what's gone on here. And we'll see why that is, I think, in some of the Twitter data. And then finally, um, the backdrop to all of this, we have um, this tussle going on between populism and establishment really around the world. And you know, how, how do we assess that with this Twitter data? That's one of the questions I wanna look at. Another part of the background to this um, is, is some of the following literature. So on the right-hand side, you can see we've got uh, literature on, on narratives and master narratives. Basically the difference between a narrative and a master narrative is a master narrative is something which is kind of consistent across space and time. So in this master narrative is Islamist extremism book, one of the examples they give is when, when the uh, Tahrir Square um, protests erupted, there was this narrative being um, put forth, which was that uh, Mubarak was a pharaoh. Right. So by saying putting those two things together, you're immediately bringing to mind that he's a tyrant, you know, that maybe his doom is coming. That's the idea of the master narrative. You associate kind of the temporal with something which goes across space and time. And on the left hand side here, we've got some other literature which talks about really um, 
pertinent to what's going on in social media at the moment, where people are kind of talking past one another. And how do you how do you look at that? How do you assess that? And then finally, you know, with social media, we hear a lot about fake news and um, disinformation, misinformation. So the, the task I'm setting myself really is, can we figure out what the public really thinks with data analytics? You know, whether or not we agree with what the public thinks, it's kind of useful to know what the public does think. And this is perhaps especially true in a highly sensitive area, like anything to do with Islam, Islamism and popular attitudes towards that. You know, what I'm trying to do again is kind of like the auditor. I'm trying to figure out what is, what is really going on in the Twitter sphere and trying to factor out my own biases from that. The conceptual approach that I take, I'm not gonna go deep into the data science, but the conceptual approach is really a signal processing approach. And there's this technique in data science called blind source separation. So if you imagine you have a soundtrack of an, or of an orchestra playing, what blind source separation does is it separates it into the different components of signal. So you can kind of get the, you know, the trumpet signal and the string signal, separated. And the idea is to do that without any human intervention. So you're just taking the data, you're letting the data speak for itself, but then the signal processing separates out the different, different components. So I'm going to look at two problems here with the data science, uh, called them problem one and problem two. And problem one really is to compare two sources statistically to see if there are high level differences. Now, how, how is this applicable to what we're looking at here with the uh, Twitter discussion of Samuel Paddy. So on one hand, we have popular opinion, which I'll call it popular opinion from social media. On the other hand, we may have elite opinion, which I would call things like journalism. Um, I think it's been referred to as the six Ps, right? So the question is, can we, is there a difference between this? And just like with the blind source separation, can, can the data science pick that out without really me having to say what it is? So we're not trying to confirm an existing bias about what we think. We're just trying to let the data speak for itself. And then, you know, we get out of this some kind of um, output, which really helps us to determine that. We'll look at that in detail in a minute. Problem two is if we have a set of Twitter data, let's say it's got, you know, thousands and thousands of tweets, retweets and so on. Can we sort that into a much smaller number, number of signal components? I'll call them buckets, and then analyze the buckets. The idea being here that it's much easier to look at 100 you know, principal components of this data than to read every one of those thousands of tweets. And you'll see what I mean by this with, I've got some just sample here. So three imaginary tweets. You can kind of see if you quickly read them that they're quite similar to one another. They're all talking about the teenager's lie and the tragic change of, chain of events. Those words occur in all three of these tweets. So what I'm trying to get at here is they're all similar and we don't necessarily want to see it. We want to kind of get a representation. So we'd like to have one thing representing all three of those things. And that's what I call a bucket. So let's, uh, let's take these two problems and see kind of what we can do with them. So we're going to fit the data structure to problem one. That was, remember, we're trying to separate out media and or, you know, elite opinion and popular opinion. So the way I do this is I collected approximately 18,000 tweets covering a 48 hour period, uh, March 7th, March 9th of this year. And that was right after it surfaced that the teenager who had accused Samuel Patti of Islamophobia was actually, she actually admitted that she'd been lying. And as you can imagine, this sparked quite a bit of discussion on Twitter. 
So there are 662,000 words in here, 12,000 distinct words. On the other hand, I went out and I looked for, for editorials. So this is representing our elite opinion and also some tweets because the media organizations in France also put out tweets. I should say that the way I collected this data was not actually uh, in the first case, at least not specifying to France. I simply went out and I looked for tweets on uh, Samuel Patty mentioning that, that name. And so these could have actually originated anywhere. On the second side, um, I was searching for Samuel Patty from colon X, where X stands for a media organization. So it might be lefigaro.fr and Samuel Patty editorial, editorial. So those two things together get us basically, you know, they're gonna give us results from the media. And there's not, there wasn't actually a whole lot out here. So, you know, I'll be upfront about that. We only got four editorials plus 20 tweets. That's not a, a lot of material. So on problem one, I'm gonna say upfront that I think the evidence that we actually end up with is a little weaker, but it's still worth looking at. So first of all, this is just the tweets now. The geographic distribution of those tweets on the bottom right here, you can see worldwide uh, visualization here is just focusing on Europe. As you can imagine, you know, Samuel Patti, the subject on March 7th and 9th was most of interest in France. That was where most of the Twitter traffic was coming from. Now, so problem one again, we wanna compare journalism to Twitter. Now there's a way in, in uh, sort of a signal processing kind of way we can deal with this. And it's to use a measure called point-wise mutual information. And this has been used in computational linguistics for a lot of other things as well. So I'm not the one who invented this measure, but really it's looking at how much more probable is the occurrence of a word in one corpus of data than the other? How much more probable is it than you would expect, expect just by chance? And when you, when you sort it like this, you can actually see, this is actually on the media side, this is the top most um, more probable words in the media than you would expect by chance. I'm gonna to go to another slide where you can kind of see this a little bit uh, better. As you know, I'm sorry, it's on this slide. So for example, on, this, on the right here, you have from Twitter, this is our popular opinion. On the left, you have from journalism. You can see that Islamophobia, for example, is one of the words that rises up to the top on the popular opinion side. Whereas on the left-hand side, you've got things like obscurantism and uh, you know, participation and, and so on. So this is kind of what's more on the media's mind in respect to Samuel Paty. Now, I just want to pause for a moment here and discuss one other thing from the literature. So Richard Hoyer was a CIA um, analyst. He was a veteran of the CIA, and he, he uh, wrote this book, which is actually publicly available on the web, Psychology of Intelligence Analysis. And in the pre uh, preface to this book, um, it says, Hoyer makes clear that the pitfalls the human mental process sets for analysts cannot be eliminated. They are part of us. So what I'm trying to say here is when I'm looking at this Twitter data, I have my own biases for sure. But what I'm trying to do here is use these techniques, as it says in the preface, to train people how to look for and recognize these mental obstacles and how to develop procedures designed to offset them. So again, what I'm trying to do is have the data analytics really speak for itself, regardless of what I may, what I may think. Um, so I just want to mention that. Okay, so some caveats and limitations here, and, uh, and this really applies to both problem one and problem two. First thing we need to think about is that Twitter data is not fully representative of the population. So it's not quite like doing an opinion poll here. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that not all citizens use Twitter. And it's 
I think known in, in uh, the Twitter universe that the degree of usage of Twitter does correlate with socioeconomic and other types of status. So when we look at Twitter, we are gonna see a skewed a picture of what the population thinks. That's not to say it's not useful. Again, you know, to use the audit me metaphor, you know, sometimes it's kind of useful to know, like if something went up from one year to, expenses in one category went up from one year to another, it's useful to know that and then to know why, right? Now, the second thing here is that Twitter data can be purposely manipulated, for example, by bots. And this is actually something that we know that, for example, Russia has done in, um, in, its, intellect, uh, in, in its social media interference. So what they do there basically is they often will use bots um, to artificially inflate the number of times a certain tweet gets used. So they'll retweet it. Bots will exist for the sole purpose of just retweeting what someone else has said. And they do that really to make it seem like, you know, some of the uh, perhaps more divisive opinion um, is more prominent than it is. And, that, and that's how they sow division. And you've probably heard about this. And finally, um, one thing to be aware of here is, you know, I tried to use some pretty innocuous terms to collect the data in the first place. I was simply searching, remember, for Twitter that mentions Samuel Paty. But bias could be introduced even through the choice of initial search term. And this is something to be aware of, particularly when we're looking at multiple language data, faux amis. So deception in French actually means disappointment, not deception. Not that that's one of the words I was using. And this is really illustrative of a more general uh, problem of language is that words sometimes seem like they mean the same thing in different cases, but they're not quite the same. Another example would be refugees versus immigrants. Do those have the same con connotations? How you collect the data could have an influence on what you see as the output. All right, problem two, we're trying to sort a large number of tweets into buckets. And this is where I think I have the stronger evidence from this simply because we have 18,000 tweets. So again, we've got our 18,000 tweets. What we wanna do here is again, remember those similar tweets. We just wanna see one representative tweet for each cluster of tweets. And this is kind of a, you don't have to read the words here. I'll show you in more detail in a minute, but this is what we wanna get out of it. Say hundred clusters. This is our forest instead of our trees. Now here's the overview of the results from this particular data set. So I've got a hundred topics here. I've color coded it by language. Again, you don't have to see the words at the moment. Um, on the next slide, um, oh, I've, I've got here some analysis that I added in here. So this is now where I'm allowing my human bias to come in, but I'm doing it on the top level data on the forest instead of the trees. So this is where you know I think we can have some discussion about is my analysis correct? But up to this point, getting the 100 topics. This is really just what the data is saying to us. So this is the part where the human analysis comes in. Now, summarizing this by language. Um, so as you can see, most of the number of buckets and the number of tweets is French. Um, here's some detail from the results. Now, this gives you an idea of how I'm classifying it. So these are, you know, what you're looking at here is each row is a representative tweet of a, of a cluster or bucket of tweets. And over here on the right, I've shown the number of tweets in that, in that cluster, and I've added some of my own annotations. So DS where, is where the tweets are saying there's some kind of double standard. AE means it's an anti-establishment tweet, in my opinion. CV, it's civilizationist. So it's saying, you know, we've got to advance our own French culture here, not let the um, immigrants take over. IS as uh, mentions of Islamophobia. That's really cut and dry. It does it or doesn't it mention Islamophobia? 
Here's the tweet on the, on the, in the middle here. And then over here on the right, I've just summarized it quickly in English. So for, I'll just run through these quickly. So the first one here is in, in the media, uh, there was this idea that um, Samuel Patti was the victim of a controversy. And this tweet is basically saying, no, he wasn't the victim of a controversy, he was actually murdered. <laughs> On the next one, a double standard for Mila versus Z. Z is the, is the teenager who lied. Uses a derogatory term for a Muslim woman, so reflecting some of the anger here about um, Islam in France. And it's saying basically that, you know, this woman who made the false accusation is actually going to be treated a lot better than, you know, someone else. Um, third one here, Islamophobia accusation. This was very commonly recurring um, theme among the tweets. Actually, it occurred in different clusters. The idea that as soon as you paint someone as, as an Islamophobe, that does two things. It both shuts down criticism, criticism of Islam and it serves as a call for murder. Paints a target on the, on the back of the victim, in this case, Samuel Paty. Um, here's a couple of ones which are civilizationist, in my opinion. This one actually is in Dutch. So as I mentioned, we're not looking only at French here. The idea of this is basically we've been too nice to this immigrant culture, now we're paying for it. One at the bottom here, the Patti tragedy should shock advocates of submission to Islam, Islamism. The global fight of the 21st century is France against Islamism to preserve the French way of life. That's pretty clearly civilizationist to me. And this one was kind of interesting to me. The racialist derive places a target on professors, mustn't forget Islamism kills. I didn't know what a derive was until I went and looked it up, but it's basically, um, it's actually, a, I think, a, a concept from a French Marxist. Um, I think it was the 20th century, where basically the idea was to kind of wander through a city and just sort of let the experiences of the city um, influence you as you go. So that's what a derive is, and this being sort of applied here to um, say, you know, our, our culture is drifting. A derive means a drift. Uh, final page of uh, detail here. So um, here, actually, they com uh, compare Z, the teenager who lied to Greta Thunberg, saying Greta Thunberg wannabe. Um, she accused Patty of Islamophobia. There's your Islamophobia again. And then this one here, this one says Bruno Le Maire, but actually it's Didier Le Maire. He uh, acknowledges that in the follow-up to the tweet. And he was actually another professor in Grenoble who was uh, painted with this Islamophobia um, tag and, you know, they're saying he's also being, and notice here, there's also a derogatory term for the media, the French media. So also, I think that's anti-establishment for that reason. And then finally, this one was actually a, an outlier, I think. Most of them really were anti-establishment. This one was trying to paint some kind of moral equivalence between the extreme right and terrorists. So basically saying, you know, the... Um, uh, Marine Le Pen, you know, is associated with terrorists as well. So, you know, who are we to speak? So whether or not we like these, I'm just trying to show you what the forest is here. This is what the data analytics does for us. Now, another way of looking at this number of tweets and buckets that mention Islamophobia, it's around 20 to 25%, maybe even 30%. Um, slightly lower, actually, in, Engl in French than in English. Just because it's in English doesn't mean that it's necessary. It could be a French person tweeting in English as well. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, slightly lower number, perhaps critical of the left unions or establishment. And then let me just conclude quickly on this data. Let me see how my time is doing. Um, I'm a little over, so I'll wrap up quickly. 
So what we've seen here is French attitudes to the Samuel Paddy case with our caveats. There's some evidence that the media may indeed downplay the angles of Islamism and Islamophobia just through the lack of mention of those words. And this, I think, echoes some intuitions that we have about populist complaints. The main themes that I, I saw recurring in the Twitter data were this double standard idea and the, the idea of the danger of accusation of Islamophobia, putting a target on someone's back. Uh, criticism of the unions, leftism and establishment. And then some expression of civilizationist ideas, including in Dutch as well as French. And I think I saw that in German as well, I didn't show an example. And then one solitary cluster argues this moral equivalence between the Islamists and the far right in France. Um, to that's the conclusion on the content, conclusion on the methodology, subject to the caveats we already stated. What we're trying to do here is look at an unbiased reflection of what is in the data. This is simply what we're seeing in the Twitter data. Nothing in the approach is specific or tweaked to the data set. We could apply this to other data, not just Twitter as well. And there's some evidence here of how, the, how and where the establishment populist voices talk past one another, just like in the literature I was mentioning up front, and possible taboos. You know, maybe the media is avoiding mention of Islamism and the Islamophobia theme. And what we can also do here is we can quantify, just like uh, I said in the audit background at the beginning, we can quantify how much traction the different narratives have. And I think there's a strategic communication implication here, which is, you know, if, if you're a journalist and you want to have more traction, perhaps, um, you know, among, among a populist audience, one thing you could maybe do is simply just mention some of the undermentioned things a little bit more. And this approach tells you, really pinpoints what words would perhaps be uh, advisable to mention more and to at least discuss. That brings me, I think, to the conclusion. So I can take any questions if there are any. All right, thank you so much. I'm going to stop sharing the screen. All right, so the first question in is, um, yeah, what does what does it really say that the uh, the journalists aren't tweeting about Islamophobia? Well, I think you've got to be careful to on the conclusions that you draw from that. And like I said, that was the weaker part of my evidence, uh, simply because I didn't have as much uh, material to work from from the journalist side. Now. Taking it as a given, perhaps, that this is good evidence, uh, which I, I'm not sure we can do, but if, if it is a given that it's good evidence, then, you know, just because there, there isn't as much mention of, of these things on the journalism side, doesn't tell us why that is. So it could be for a variety of reasons. I mean, it could be that, that it's being treated as taboo. It could be that simply, I don't know, um, you know, just other things were of interest to journalists, or maybe it's a mixture of those two things. But I, I do think you've got to be careful to separate out intent from what it is that we see. So overall, we've done, like you mentioned early on, we've done webinars on this topic a few times already. Uh, do you think that public sentiment in France is changing based on the tweets? Well, Twitter itself is relatively new, and I also have the difficulty that I cannot go back, right? I don't have a, a store of Twitter data, um, particularly on this, on this subject. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that the popular opinion, I'm not sure I, I would say that I've seen evidence that the popular opinion has changed. It may be that it's been there all along, 
but maybe what Twitter has done is it's brought it more to the fore. Um, I'll also mention we, we looked at something similar with um, some data from Twitter in Sweden as well. And we saw something similar there as well. And again, discussion around immigrants in Sweden. Um, so I don't know, I, I think that maybe the social, what social media has done is it's kind of like opened up. I mean, it's de democratized. I mean, that's what it is, right? Social media, <laughs> it's democratized the media. Understood, thank you. So what are some of the practical applications to which this information can be applied? Yeah, so, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely a role, I mentioned Richards Hoyer from the CIA, there's definitely an, a role here for, um, in intelligence analysis, you know, seeking to understand the information environment. This is something which I think is getting increased attention in the, in the uh, US military and also um, more broadly as well. I mean, NATO is interested in this as well. Uh, to make good decisions, you have to have good information about what the what's going on in the information environment. Um, so that's one thing. I, I think also, as I mentioned, that if, if you're a journalist, if you're one of the policymakers, um, what this can do is it can tell you, you know, here are some of the things that you may be under-emphasizing under that perhaps you ought to be bringing more to the fore in the policy. Um, you know, maybe that could help allay some of the populist concerns. Thank you. And I know you spoke specifically about France in this case, but do you believe that is, call, is calling someone an Islamophobe in the U.S. as dangerous as it is in Europe to the person with the target on his or her back? Yeah, well, you know, again, with my accounting background, I kind of look at the numbers, right? And, you know, in the United States, we simply don't have as high, um, I mean, Okay, so here's how I think about it, right, is uh, you know, I've seen these studies where uh, that you have a certain percentage of the population, you know, certainly not all, not everyone who calls themselves a Muslim is about to go and, you know, behead someone, right? We, we know that. But maybe there's some percentage, right, which, um, you know, and we see this elsewhere as well. So percentage of people who call themselves this or that, right? some percentage of them may go to more extreme steps to act on their beliefs, right? So it's all about the numbers, I think. If you have the higher percentage of population which have, you know, the, um, which could be potentially Islamists, then sure, the potential for high, uh, is greater. Now, we just don't have this, as high a percentage, I think, in the United States. Understood. So the next question we have in is, is there a strong impression that journalists are directed, or there is a strong impression that journalists are directed not to include the Middle Eastern names when alleged perpetrators are discussed? We see this in the UK regarding grooming gangs. Also mm. in Canada, there is a reluctance to disclose race or country of origin of suspects. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if I were a lawyer, right, what I would do is I would look not just at the, uh, the data, I would look at the policy as well. So what are your editorial policies, you know? And, you know, you see some reflection of that, I think, um, in, in, you know, just as a layperson looking at the media. So, for example, the BBC, you know, I, I think um, whenever they talk about the occupied territories, um, they say, you know, they're, they're disputed under international law, though Israel disputes this, right? They have mm -hmm. that kind of little wording that always comes out. And there are other things as well. I mean, that um, 
that I think betray a little bit of the editorial bias. Uh, I don't know, though. I'm not, you know, I'm not a journalist, so I don't know what the policies are. So maybe someone else can speak to that better. Understood. Thank you. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. So your impression is that in, in America there are far fewer committed Islamists than there are in Europe. Is that? Yeah. Well, I base that, you know. I, so again, let me be a little more specific there. I'm basing that simply on the fact that there's a lower percentage of, uh, of Muslims in America than in Europe. I think the percentage I've seen for France, for example, is around 10%. Again, I may be wrong about that. That's off the top of my head. Um, I don't think it's above more like, it's probably more like 2% at most in, in the United States. So, you know, I think to be an Islamist, you have to be a Muslim. <laughs> So you're drawing from a much lower percentage and assuming that the percentage of Muslims who are Islamists is constant across countries, which might not be the case, um, you're simply going to have a lower number in the United States. That's basically what, what I was basing it on. Perfect. Thank you. And then um, I guess the last question here in our last minute. Is there any sign of a, cha sign of a change in journalist coverage, which offer often follows a liberal woke bias? <laughs> I'm not sure I answered the question completely. I don't know this word. Um, I guess is there is there has there been change? I guess also that goes back to the not so having past data. becoming more liberal or yes, I, yeah. That's what the question was. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure I've seen evidence that that might be another interesting research question. I mean, you could look, do a sort of longitudinal study collect uh, data from the media over time, but I didn't have that data, so can't really speak to it. Yes, thank you so much. And in closing, I know you started off with uh, your work, but can you just remind our viewers where you can find some more? Um, so the best place, if you wanna see like some of the papers and so on, um, would probably be to connect with me on Twitter. I'm sorry, not Twitter, um, LinkedIn, <laughs> another social media platform. Um, yeah, you can find me, Peter Chu, um, on on um, LinkedIn. Uh, I'll try Peter Chu Albuquerque, Peter Chu Galisteo. And I, on on uh, LinkedIn, I try and keep that updated with all my papers and so on. So um, a lot of material there. Also, you can check out our website, galisteoconsulting.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. So we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Dr. Chu, for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Stacey, and I really appreciate the chance to share with you. I hope it's been useful to some people. Very much so. For our viewers and listeners, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinars offering email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.